appreciate prayer on that event that's going to be coming up in um, September, mainly because, you know, part of it is I'm excited to do it. You know, that's my community that I love to reach out to. The community that I love to reach out to, that God has really placed in my heart, is the community of the worldviews, the different beliefs. And there's going to be an atheist, a spiritual life teacher, um, who is a New Age teacher, and a Buddhist uh, there, and from all kinds of backgrounds. So I, I really do covet your prayers on this. That is my heartbeat to reach out to that. But also, um, you know, as I've been studying, one of the things I've really realized in this panel is that the only orthodox view of heaven, hell, and the afterlife is the Christian version of, of that. And so really it's going to be me versus them, and they're going to be wanting to tear apart our worldview on this. So, um, you know, it's really, there's going to be attacks coming from every angle, but part of it is how do we discuss these things in peace with others? And so I'm so excited to talk about that. And, um, you know, after I've done so much study on heaven, hell, and the afterlife. There might be a series coming up about heaven, hell, and the afterlife because I've compiled a ton of information so far. So one of these days, you'll hear more of a series on that too. Um, You know, we haven't done this in a while. We have these bulletins. We've got these tear-offs. One of the ways we like to use this is uh, just a communication card. Um, Maybe you've got something that uh, that you want to tell us. Maybe you got a praise in your life. Maybe you have a prayer request. Um, or maybe you even want to get baptized or, or know how to serve or know how to connect. Or maybe you're visiting with us. It's your first, second, third time here. Um, go ahead and write down your name and address. We've, we don't spam you or send you all kinds of crazy stuff in the mail. But we actually have a gift for you uh, for visiting uh, with us. Um, so go ahead and pu- uh, pull that out and, and, and check that out. So this morning, we're um, our final two weeks of our series on the book of Galatians. And it's been a fun series for, for me to dive through it because it deals with a church that's forgotten what the gospel looks like. And for us, we could be that church sometimes. We could sometimes forget what the gospel is in our lives. And we begin to, to lead and live in a different gospel, the gospel of do what I want, the gospel of do what feels right, the gospel of, well, if it feels good, go ahead and do it, or, hey, if I'm seeing good results, then it must be good. You know, the gospel of whatever we fill in a lot of times. And our world tells us that's okay to do. But today, Paul gets... Um, Paul, the author of the book of Galatians, gets to go, chapter 6. And by the way, he didn't put chapter marks in there. What the editors later on did is they, they broke them at different thoughts. So he gets to, to chapter 6, and he begins to talk about interpersonal relationships. And so what I'm going to do right now, we're going to go through Galatians 6, 1 through 10. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 10 right now, and then we're going to dig right through it. So if you're with me, it'll be up on the screen, Galatians chapter 6 in your Bible, and it should be up on the Bible app. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they could take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. We don't deal with that anymore, do we? Comparing ourselves to others? For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
Whatever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become wary of doing good, for all the proper time will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I love this because Paul is finally beginning to get really practical. And last week he got practical when we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. And this week now he's talking about interpersonal relationships. And, and let's face it, we could always use a little bit of help in personal, interpersonal relationships, right? We're always screwing something up in some relationship, don't we? It seems like always those are the major dramas of our day, our interpersonal relationships. One of the things we have to remember, like I said, Biblical chapter marks were not really there until the 1300s. That's something that somebody said, you know what, it would be a lot easier if we broke the thoughts in the Bible up into chapters. And that way people can find what we're talking about. And so they did that. They began to break it up into chapters and verses. And sometimes they break up thoughts that shouldn't be broken up. And so Galatians 5 verse 26 I want to do the first um, verse here by in light of Galatians 5.26. It says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Now, many of us have been in the place where we've seen other people screw up in life. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in relationships. We've seen people screw up, and we have the power in that moment to ruin them or restore them. We can either ruin them or restore them. And I think this is why Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. My daughter's in the back seat. They, sit, they love to sit in the third row of our SUV, and so they sit in the third row. And Emma just knows that she could poke Lucy on her leg, and Lucy would go whack and smack her right in the face, and then Lucy will get in trouble. Emma doesn't care if she gets smacked in the face. She cares if Lucy gets in trouble. So she's willing to take the the hit right on the face in order to see Lucy get yelled at by her mom and me. Don't we do this sometimes? It's so easy to push little buttons, especially in a marriage relationship, especially in family relationships where we know each other so well. It's easy. We know a cause and effect. We could push this button and something else comes out. This is what this verse is talking about. Let us not be conceited. Let us not provoke each other. Now, it's really blatant when you're five and three, but when you get older, you start to get really good at it almost to where it becomes second nature, and we know how to push these buttons, and we're like, whoa, whoa, hey, I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? Right? We all kind to kind of get this way. Well, this verse is really important. Let us not become conceited or provoking and envying each other. When you read it in light of 6.1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore this person gently. We have the capacity to ruin or restore. We cannot provoke or envy. In other words, when you've got something on somebody, you've got an incredible power, don't you? When you've got something on somebody, you've got an incredible power. And so Paul is calling us in these moments to lay that down. You know, the way our world works is to ruin others. 
Anybody here watch reality TV, right? Real housewives of whatever, just fill it in. You know, you've seen one, you've seen them all. They take people who are supposed to be friends, Tina. Uh, they take, yeah, I mean, there was a time where I'd go to my mother-in-law's house and it was like, oh, Real Housewives of whoever is on again. They take these people who are supposed to be friends. They, they, they get dirt on each other. They talk to them. They use this cool strategy, the separate room with the camera. And so they're just talking to the camera and they get a bunch of dirt on other people and then they bring another person in and they say, hey, did you hear what this person said about you? Let me play back the video. Boop. And guess what? Everybody starts fighting. And that makes for some really great TV, right? I mean, that's really what we want to see. I mean, we're, we're no different than the gladiator, like watching the gladiators in Roman times. We're like, rip their throats out. Get her. You know, they shouldn't be friends anymore. For some reason, these reality TV shows have found the formula to get us to get out each other's throats because it makes for better entertainment. It makes for things that people really do want to see. But what Paul is saying here is we ought to restore that person gently. How great would it be if they took a reality TV show full of Christians, which they've already tried to do, but they've been successful with their methods of provoking each other. (laughs) They take Christian people who who took this seriously and and said, oh, you know what, maybe I should go talk to that person and we should work this out, and, and we'll figure out what the real problem is, and maybe they meant it in a different context. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's deal with it. It wouldn't make for good TV. Nobody would want to watch that, which is great, and that's exactly the way that we ought to live our lives. Isn't this the entire political industry, by the way? There are people paid now because of super PACs that can raise all kinds of money. There are people now that are just paid in election cycles to go stand near a candidate with a video camera. That's it. That's all they do all day long. And then at the end of the day, they go upload all their video to servers and they have um, interns scanning through every bit of video because they're looking for drama. Our world searches for this. Our world thrives off this. When your relationships begin to thrive off of drama, then Jesus is being left out of your relationships. When your relations, I'll say it again, when your relationships begin to thrive on drama, Jesus is being left out of your relationship somehow. But when your relationship begins to thrive on reconciliation, when your relationship begins to, to, to thrive on restoring, when your relationship begins to thrive on love, then you know that you're bringing Jesus back into the center of your relationships. So what does Scripture say? It simply says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, that you also may also be tempted. What's the temptation that Paul is talking about here? I think it's the temptation to finish them, right? You get that piece of information, you have some power over somebody, and the temptation is to finish them, deal with them, so that they don't come back anymore, so that they're not a problem anymore. See, it's a cyclical cycle. Somebody sins, we find out about it, we go, oh man, I'm going to get them, and then we, we begin to get them, and then we ourselves are brought into this level of sin, this original sin that the person created, and then it becomes a cyclical, never-ending cycle of sin. The idea of restoring each other puts a stop to these vicious cycles and begins to restore relationships in such a way that Jesus can actually be honored in them. 
You know, we know exactly what I'm talking about here if you're married, right? If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your husband or your wife may, in, in the midst of a fight, which is normal in marriage, by the way. Fights are normal and healthy, and, and they're a way that people communicate, um, but you got to learn how to fight in a healthy way. Sorry, Paul, you should not have said amen to that. <laughs> now, the, con- the key is in a healthy way. Um, There are ways that people communicate in healthy ways, but sometimes in the midst of a fight, you throw this A-bomb that just explodes, and and it's catastrophe. Because you've taken all this other sin from the past of the relationship, and you've thrown it all out into the forefront. And what you've done is create a huge problem. One that has a difficult time being restored. We could either ruin or restore our relationships. Each one of us has the capacity to do that. Where are you? Do you want to ruin your relationships or do you want to restore each one of them? I think the reason why this is important and there's a deeper issue here is that we're driven by our own arrogance. We're driven by our own arrogance rather than what is best for others. Arrogance is found in our lives whenever we feel the need to defend our ego. Arrogance is found in our lives whenever we feel the need to defend and protect our ego. Arrogance is found in the phrase, I deserve this. I think arrogance ruins relationships and leads us away from God. Because God is completely humble. I want to talk about this for a second because God being humble radically changed my view of God. I knew God was humble. Like that was a, that was a thought in my mind that God was humble, so we ought to be humble. But the, the extent of which God is humble, I want to talk about for a second. Many of you know the parable of the workers in the vineyard. I'm going to just, it's found in Matthew 20. Go ahead and look it up if you'd like and, and read it. Um, I'm just going to give you the short version of it because it's long. Um, Jesus talks about this parable where a, 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 a I'm sorry, like a, a farm owner goes and hires hands, a vineyard owner. He hires the one and he says, I will pay you a day's wage in the morning. And then in the afternoon, he goes out and hires another. And then later in the evening, he hires another one. And then right before closing time, he goes and hires another. And at the end of the day, they all get paid the same. And there's people that say, wait a second, Jesus, why did you pay all these people the same amount of wages? Because this guy worked longer than this guy. What is going on here? And here's what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, when the ship is going down under us, it's a poor thing to come to him in a last resort, to offer up our own life when we know we're going to lose it anyways. If God were proud he would hardly have us on such terms. See, the arrogance of, I mean, arrogance demands that that vineyard owner would pay somebody something different each time. But what C.S. Lewis is saying here about God and the way God's character is, is that he would have us, whether we came to him at the very beginning, at the very first part of our lives, or whether we came to know Jesus at the very end of our lives. C.S. Lewis is saying it is a poor thing and is hardly complimentary that we should choose Jesus or choose him as an, alternative to, as an alternative to hell. Yet he even accepts us. A proud God would not accept us on such terms, would he? If God were arrogant, he would not accept 
us saying, God, I, I'm going to die, but I need you. See, a proud and arrogant person would say, where were you like the last 40 years? Uh, uh, an arrogant God would say, where were you? You know, where were you? What, why didn't you say anything when I, when, when I showed up here? Why didn't you say anything when I showed up here? Why didn't you say anything when I showed up here? Now when you're about to die, you're going to choose me? But even God is not arrogant or proud in any way. He has all the humility in him. There's not a hint of arrogance or pride in God. And he accepts us even when we screwed up to the team time. It's a poor thing to come to him when the ship is sinking under us, but even he accepts it. You see, I think, and, and I would say even, write this down. We need to be the kind of people that ruthlessly eliminate arrogance in our lives. We need to ruthlessly eliminate arrogance in our lives because arrogance demands that we do not restore people. Arrogance demands that we let people have it. Arrogance demands that we be right. Arrogance, even taken to its furthest logical conclusion, demands that we be the ones that are worshipped. Arrogance demands that we are in charge and we are right. And here, what is Paul saying? Restore each person. So I want to give us a couple things, a couple ways, two, two ways to ruthlessly eliminate arrogance in your life. I mean, we have to be ruthless about this. Because arrogance so controls us, defending our ego, us being right. Just that very need right there to be right all the time. we got to ruin that in our lives. we got to break that in our lives. So there's two ways I want to just talk about. One, serve people and consider them more important than yourself. Serve people. Maybe some of you need to write that down. It's really simple. Serve people and consider them more important than yourself. Philippians 2. Verses 3 through 4, my neighbor asked me uh, this week to give him a Bible verse because his daughter's getting married and they don't really do church and he, she wants to put a Bible verse in. So I said, I, I would suggest this one. Because if you could figure this out in marriage, then you're doing really good. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, um, not looking to to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Not looking to your interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If you want to defeat arrogance in your life, if you want to defeat pride in your life, if you want to begin to gain humility, begin to consider others more important than yourselves and serve them. Maybe it's somewhere in this church you say, wow, okay, I need to eliminate arrogance in my life. I need to serve. I need to break out this, uh, this card and say, okay, there's an area I could serve. I need to talk with a pastor and figure out where that is. Great. But ruthlessly eliminate arrogance in your life. Romans 12, 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in, abund- in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In Romans 12, he's saying, listen, do not think of yourselves as better than everybody else. There's a certain element of the enemy wanting to come into our lives saying, you're better than that person. Oh, you could do that better. Oh, you're way smarter than that guy. Oh, you're way prettier than her. Ladies, come on. Do we ever do that? Okay. Two, 
ruthlessly eliminate arrogance too. I want to invite you to pray a dangerous prayer. And and write this down if you want to pray this, but I'm going to warn you right now that what comes out might be ugly. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. I just want to encourage you to pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24 every day this week. If you want to ruthlessly eliminate arrogance. And it says this, Search me, O God, or search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a dangerous prayer. Because if you pray that, God's going to begin to expose stuff from your own life that you don't want to see. God might begin to expose your arrogance, your hate, your, maybe it's, it's that you don't have faith. God will begin to expose that to you in ways. It's a dangerous prayer. I want to invite you to pray it. And maybe arrogance isn't your issue, but there's other issues that you have. And so I would say pray that prayer. The best thing that you will ever do for your spouse and your children, one of the greatest gifts you can give your church is to pursue humility at all costs. It is only when we truly pursue humility that we'll really get to the next part of what Paul is saying. That was just verse 1. Galatians 6, 2 through 6. He says, carry each other's burdens. Could, could a prideful person carry somebody else's burdens? It'd be difficult. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they could take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says in Life Together about carrying one another's burdens. He says, you become a brother when you bear with one another. He says it in a rhythmic sort of way so that you remember. When you become a brother, you bear with one another. Or you only become a brother when you bear with one another. In other words, when you hold each other up and lift each other up. This is the importance of community. In Christian community, we have to ruthlessly eliminate arrogance in our lives so that we can actually have the capacity to go to one another as Jesus would go to one another and and help them walk through their struggle in life. That we would help them overcome what it is that they are struggling with in life. We have to ruthlessly eliminate arrogance so that we can get to this place. It's how we grow. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I want to pause there for a second. How many of us sit at home considering, maybe brainstorming, get a whiteboard out. How many of you ever sit at home with a whiteboard and a pen going, how can I spur this person on? Like maybe here's a list of names and how can I really encourage this person on? Is that something that we do on a daily basis? No. That is something that we've probably lost from our vocabulary and from our pattern of life, and we need to get back to these types of things. Maybe it's you look at Facebook, and you say, oh, there's a whole list of names. Here's a great way to use Facebook. How can I spur one another on towards the goal? How can I encourage another person towards the goal of following Jesus? That's a great way to use Facebook. 
And then, he, then um, the author of Hebrews says, not giving up meeting one another as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Remember a few months ago, I, I stood up and I gave this analogy about a washing machine. Top load washers, they have an agitator. You throw the clothes in and the agitator beats them up. It beats the dirt off them. But a front load washing machine, there's no agitator there. You know why? Somebody say why. Thank you. Because the clothes beat the dirt off of one another. The clothes need each other to get clean. And this is exactly how the church needs to operate. That we don't meet just for great times of fellowship and, and, and saying, hey, how y'all doing? And, and, but we actually spur one another on. We get invested in each other's lives. And, and we challenge each other to the next place in life. Meeting with other Christians helps us to check our motives. It, makes us, it helps us to make sure that we don't get caught up in the comparison lifestyle. Because how many times do we get caught up in that? And then we learn to carry our own load. And then Paul changes his tune a little bit in verse 7. He says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man who reaps what he sows, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become wary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all the people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers." Paul is sort of ending this thought with going back to the idea of legalism. Remember, the entire book here is about legalism. It's about this problem that the church has. They forgot the original gospel, and they begin to lean on their own practices, their own flesh, to please God. And Paul's entire message to them was, it is by faith that you are saved. It has nothing to do with all your practices and your legalism and your, and your festivals and your feasts. It has nothing to do with that. But it only has to do with faith. And so what Paul is doing here is reminding them, do not be deceived. He is fine, like, this is your final reminder. God cannot be mocked. You're mocking God with your actions. A man reaps what he sows. What you put into it, you'll get out of it. Whoever sows to please their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It's which one do you want, is what Paul is saying here. Don't deceive yourself. So many times we live in this sphere of optimistic delusion. Oh, it's going okay. Things are going great. How's your marriage? Everything's going great. How's life? Oh, great. How are the kids? Oh, they're doing wonderful. They're getting A pluses in school. How is everything going? Oh, everything's going great. See, I got this new truck or I got this new house. Everything's great. But we begin to, we begin to live in this fear of optimistic delusion where we say outwardly everything is going great, but we're really trying inwardly to do everything on our own and everything is falling apart. Simply what Paul is saying here is what you reap, you'll sow. What you put in, you're literally going to get out. If you, re- if you begin to, to sow stuff by the flesh, that's what you're going to get. If you begin to sow with the Spirit, in other words, spend time with God, then guess what you're going to get? You're going to get God. 
That's simply what he's saying here. Do not try and live the dualistic life. If you choose Jesus, guess what you get? Jesus. If you choose all of your own desires over Jesus, guess what you get? All of your own desires and none of Jesus. Life is so much about choices, and I think this is what Paul is really trying to get us at, is that life is really about these choices. And what choices are you going to make? So Paul ends by saying this. He says, therefore, we have opportunity. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. Maybe you're here today and there's a couple things that have sort of hit you. Maybe there's this arrogance in your life, this prideful arrogance that needs to just come out of it. Because if that's in your life, you know that that's going to go to ruin relationships more than restore relationships. And maybe you're here today and you, you need to say, God, would you just ruthlessly eliminate arrogance from my life? Would you help me to be completely humble? Lord, would you help me with that? Ruthlessly eliminate arrogance. Maybe you're here and you just simply need to say, God, would you begin to search me and know my ways because I could tell you that there's a lot of deception within me. There's a lot of brokenness within me. I begin to operate out of that brokenness and hurt other people in it. Would you search me and know my ways and help me to see that? Or maybe... You know, one of the things that Paul talks about so much in this last little section, and there's one more little section we'll hit on next week, one of the things he hits on so heavily is the need to be in community. Because we begin to restore each other in community. We begin to spur one another on in community. In community, in the church, we begin to grow in ways we never thought possible. Talk to people and ask them where they were when they first accepted Jesus versus where they're at now. Huge difference. And then you begin to ask them why that is so. Over and over and over again, they'll say, there was this person in my life. There was this person who helped me. There was this person who spoke truth to me. Over and over and over, you'll get that. So maybe for you, it's saying, I simply need to commit to church. I need to commit to being here. I need to commit to getting into a small group. I need to commit to getting with other Christians that are going to help me spur on and grow as a Christ follower. So maybe you're here today, and that's one of those three things. I want to invite the band to come um, because they're going to lead us in, in some music and some worship next. But I want to invite you to pray one of those three things. God, ruthlessly eliminate this arrogance from me. Search me, O God. Or, God, I need to be in community, and and I need to make commitments in my life, and I pray that you would help me with that. So let's pray. Jesus, so many times we come to you. So many times we stand right here where we're standing, and there's just a heap of arrogance in our lives. I'm right. God, prove me right. Or we think, my way is the best way. God, I want to acknowledge before you today that it is difficult to be a Christian and think those kinds of thoughts. But Lord, today we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, would you ruthlessly eliminate the arrogance of our own lives that we tend to build up over time.
Father, there's some here who simply need to say, search me, O oh God, and know my ways. Lord, would you see the brokenness that's in me? Would you share that with me so that I might follow you in a deeper way? Or three, maybe you're here and you simply need to just make a commitment. You need to say, you know what? I need to make a commitment to attending church, to being a part of community each week. Whether it's, maybe it's just Sundays or maybe it's um, you, you really begin to get deeper in life with a small group. I want to encourage you to pray about that too this morning. Father, you know us, you know this church, you know your people, you know our hearts. And I pray that you would move us forward, God, as restorers of relationships and not ruiners of them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.